My answer is always, we do not get points on how well to do the exercise. We get points on how many times we're willing to do it. Let's say you're an accounting listening to this. How many accountants do you know in your industry who are willing to even do the random word exercise a hundred times? And the answer gets really small, really fast, Adelaide. But the magic of doing it a hundred times is it doesn't take 10 years. Welcome to Upon Arrival, a show that uncovers stories and strategies that make up all the moving parts of business events tourism with me, Adelaine Ung. Have you ever wondered what it would take to become a really good presenter or public speaker? These are the creatures commonly cited at our events, confidently strutting the stage with or without a mic in hand, commanding every bit of attention in the audience, leaving us in awe and offering our applause. But this art of public speaking isn't supposed to be just for those who do it professionally. You may have heard that public speaking is actually an important life skill. It sets you up with more credibility, control of your message, and ability to communicate the issues that are most important to you. Not to mention possible promotion in the workplace, which can't hurt. Today's episode is the first of a two-part series with my guest, Brendan Kumarasamy, who has more than 30,000 YouTube subscribers and is the founder of Master Talk, where he coaches executives and entrepreneurs to become top 1% communicators in their industry. Brendan is on a mission to help as many people as possible to become confident communicators without the high price tag. He believes the next Elon Musk is a seven-year-old kid who can't afford a communication coach. His passion even led him to become the youngest public speaking coach in the world. As you can imagine, Brendan has lots of gold nuggets to share, so let me get out of the way and bring you into the start of my conversation with him. Brendan, welcome to the show. Can I start with, are you still the youngest public speaking coach in the world? I'm pretty sure I was the youngest when I started, because I started 19, but today I'm old now, so I don't think I'm the youngest anymore. <laughs> I won't ask the age. <laughs> I'll be polite. I'm 26. I'm, I'm open about that. It's That's fine. still pretty young for you know a public speaking coach, and I understand that you train CEOs and you know really high-level executives, so that's an uh, amazing journey that you've been on. But Brendan, I have been looking forward to this chat. And I have to say, I was really impressed because it takes a certain amount of confidence to say what you said to me before I hit record, which was, Adeline, you can ask me anything about anything. And I was thinking like, what, does that include what's going to happen to the economy in two months? You know, can we talk about the future of crypto? Can we talk about the meaning of life? So I was like, it takes a certain amount of confidence to just be able to go on a podcast as a guest and just say, I'm ready to tackle just about anything. And I'm wondering where that confidence comes from. I mean, for podcasting specifically, it just comes from doing a lot of it. Because three years ago, I definitely did not have that mentality when I guessed it on shows. But I, I would say it's really repetition. You know, as you keep doing the same questions over and over again. I just like being challenged at this point. Because for me to get better in my communication, for me to get better at my ideas, I would rather have the host just challenge me and disagree with me because I think it's more fun that way versus just nodding their head and going, oh yeah, that's a good answer. Let's just move on. It doesn't make me better. So that's why I just opened the floor to the host. I love that. Some of the um, you know people who are such accomplishers in our space, uh, you know, in our world, are people who've had that mindset of not looking at your inadequacies but rather being challenged and even on purpose putting themselves in an environment 
where there are people who are better at them for what they're known to do. And that has to come from a really secure place. So, you know, I'm really happy to be talking to you because there's so much joy in talking with people who come from that space. But what I'd love to do is hear your story first. Were you always good at public speaking, maybe even told to, you know, not talk so much in primary school? (laughs) You know, I wish I, I was this confident guy that I am today, Adelaine. Even today, there's still some confidence issues I have we can talk about later. But I'll say for the beginning of the story, I definitely wasn't confident. The reason is because I grew up in Montreal, which is a city in Canada where you need to know how to speak French. So if you don't know that language, you're not really going to do well in the city. So my parents made the wise decision to send me to a French education system. But the problem was, not only was I not confident, like most of us aren't on communication and presentations, I was presenting in a language I didn't even know. That's where a lot of my challenge came up. That's one piece. The other piece is my crooked left arm because of a surgery I had when I was younger. So because of that, I had a big cast on in kindergarten and first grade. So no one really wants to be friends with the kid who doesn't understand them and who has a big cast floating around. So that's where, you know, I started with very humble beginnings. And that's why I'm so passionate about communication. I think anyone can do it, especially if I could. Yeah, that was some overcoming that you had to do in that story. And you did it in, I would say, a fairly short amount of time, because some people just don't even address it their entire lives. And that just becomes their Achilles heel. So I think that, you know, as we grow up, you know, we're not that kid in school anymore. Most people recognize that the ability to speak well publicly is a huge personal and career asset. And yet, you know, so many people struggle with this continually. And I get it. No one likes to be scrutinized or criticized if they don't know that they're going to do a good job. How do you get someone over the fear of public speaking? And then later, I want to ask you about how you absolutely conquer a stage and win over an audience. But if you're coming from that place where there's plenty of trepidation, even around the idea of getting on a stage with a huge audience, how do you get someone over that? Absolutely, Adeline. So I would start the conversation here, which is, why do we even fear communication in the first place? Why is that something that we're all scared of as a society? Because we just accept that as status quo versus challenging that very idea. And I believe there's actually a very logical reason why all of us are scared of communication, which I'll explain right now. Think about it. Where do we learn how to communicate? Where do we learn how to speak in a formal way? For all of us listening to this podcast, the answer is actually the same place which is the education system. Elementary school or primary school, or at high school, that's where we learn how to communicate ideas through presentations, Adeline. But all of those presentations have three fundamental problems. The first one is all of them are mandatory. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, hey, Adeline, do you want to get breakfast and present all day? Says nobody ever. So that's problem one. Right. Problem two is all of those presentations are never something that you're excited about giving. They're never something that's tied to your passion. So it's never, hey, Adeline, what are you excited about? Do you like podcasting, crypto, you know, politics, you know, economy, or Brendan, you know, communication? No, you got to talk about Shakespeare and poetry. And then when you're done with that, you have to talk about the history of Missouri. And you're like, I don't even live in Missouri. Why do I have to do that? (laughs) So that's problem number two. And then problem number three, you'd think I would be done with all the problems. This is actually the most important one. Every presentation, Adeline, it's crazy when you think about it, are tied to a punishment. (laughs) So if you don't do a great job, 100% of the time, if you don't do well, you get hit in the head with your grades. 
and then at work later in your career. So what does this mean? We're conditioning human beings, every single generation through the same education system, that communication is a chore. So we believe it's one and nobody wants to get better at doing the dishes. Yeah, so true. I think what you've just described is the reason for our trauma. (laughs) So, I mean, it's one thing to be aware of um, what caused our trauma. What is the next step, though, to overcoming that and, you know, just getting past ourselves in order to get to that space where we do start getting comfortable with public speaking? Absolutely, Adam, which I'm happy to talk about. Awareness is always the first step, though. And the reason is because it helps us go, oh, wait, everyone is scared of communicating. Like, this is a normal. This is not something that I'm the only one struggling with. So that's the first piece is understanding why. So now it makes sense. So there's two parts to this, two and three. So two is changing our energy around it. That's why I love this question that I crafted for people. How would your life change if you're an exceptional communicator? So many of us dream about our businesses, we dream about our careers, we dream about our vacations, the expensive watches, the cars, the houses we want to get. When was the last time we dreamed about our communication skills? And the answer for most of us is never. So I encourage your audience to spend a few minutes to just ponder that question. How would your life change? And what this does is it opens up possibility and creates motivation to actually want to work on it in the first place because it affects every year of our life. That's two. And then finally, the third piece is realizing that the fear doesn't go away because that's a bad goal to have, but rather a relationship that you need to manage. Even I'm fearful of communication, except for me, the fear comes from a different level, which is, let's say me and you are having lunch in Melbourne and Elon Musk calls me and he goes, hey, I really liked your podcast that you did with Adelaide. I liked your YouTube channel. Can you coach me? I'll pay you a million dollars. Yeah, sure. I would be worried. Like, I would be scared. <laughs> yes. like, it's Elon Musk. doesn't matter the experience I have. And that's the point I want to drive, Adelaide. Communication feels like a boxing match where one side of the ring is the fear. I don't want to do this. It's stressful. There's a lot of anxiety. And the other side of the ring is the message. Why does this matter? Why is it important? And the goal is not for the fear to leave the ring, but rather make sure the bell rings that your message gets the knockout punch in that ring and wins the match every time. And that's the relationship and how we manage fear. So... To even to get to that point, there's usually a bit of preparation. I mean, boxes in the ring don't just go into the ring. There's the mental preparedness. There's the physical preparedness. I mean, take us through like what you need to do to get to that space and be comfortable with it and be comfortable with the enemy in the ring, I guess you might call it that. For sure, Adeline. So there are a couple of parts here. One is the simplified version, which I think is very important to talk about. And then we'll talk about the more detailed one. So let's talk about the simplified one, which is simply this. We don't need that much prep work to start our communication journey. And the reason is simply this. There's so many things in our life that we weren't prepared for that we did in our life, despite being scared. When we got our first job, when we asked somebody out on a date, when we got married, when we had kids, when we did something else, you know, like go to this restaurant. I don't want to go to this restaurant. I don't know what the food is. There's always things that we were fearful of in our life that we chose to do. Why is that? Because our motivation was greater than the fear. That's why I'm actually very counterintuitive in my industry, where I always say that fear is never the number one challenge in communication. I believe that it's number two. Motivation is actually number one. Where we don't have a motivation that is so strong, that is so powerful, that is pulling us to be a really good communicator and do it scared anyways. Like for me, it was the 15-year-old girl who can't afford it. Why did I start? Why did I think 
I could be the, the person around communication. God, I started my mother's basement at the age of 22, and I still live in my mother's basement, except now I pay all the bills. That's the only difference now. Must be a nice basement. <laughs> it is a really nice basement, actually, but it's better company than the basement. But the point that I want to drive is I did it for the 15-year-old girl who can't afford me, and that message is way more important than the fear. But then the other piece to that is how do we move ourselves into action? I'm never going to tell anyone to post on social media tomorrow. And I'm also never going to tell anyone to get on a stage tomorrow. But what I will say is you need to start with the easiest possible thing to get the ball moving, which in my opinion is the random word exercise. Pick a random word like golf, like zebra, like trophy, and just give presentations out of thin air and just start that alone in your basement if you want to. Wow, great idea. But making this a habit, the doing, because I mean... Today, people who have a lot of good ideas for what we think we should do to be better versions of ourselves, and then time just flies past, and before you know it, or do you think it's a good idea to have an accountability buddy? Because it sounds like it's something that you need to build a bit of muscle memory for. That's correct, Adeline. So the first one, the easiest one that I found in my career is integrating it with the people in your home. So for example, I'm talk- let's say I'm talking to people who have kids right now. That's the easiest thing to do. So when you're picking them to and from school, you're having dinner with them. It doesn't matter if they're five years old or 12. You just do the random word exercise with them. That's the easiest way to integrate without paying for a coach, which is another level of accountability. You pay for it. One other strategy that works well for those who can't afford one is Toastmasters because it's cheap. It's like a hundred bucks a year or something and there's chapters across the world and you can go to one of these chapters and meet like-minded people and build relationships with that and then one other solution that is also simple is finding people in your friendship group that you're already pals with that listen to this podcast that love this episode or what we're talking about and says oh let, let me do that too and you just form your own accountability group so those are the different options i love how you you're so practical about this you've really thought about how you can actually do this successfully because um, so many of us have really grand ideas and it comes to naught just because it's not practical. Um, I think sometimes it's that feeling. I mean, we talked about the fear of public speaking and I think in there is that feeling of inadequacy that makes us you know, a little bit queasy about the stage. And that sort of happens when we're, I think, comparing ourselves to other people. You meet people who have the so-called gift of communication. And I used to work with this person, you know, when I did radio full-time years ago, you know, I was co-hosting with someone who could talk with marbles in his mouth underwater. And I thought, you know, this must be something you were born with. I was going to say, I thought you were one of those people too, until you shared that story of how you initially um, struggled. But, you know, I do meet people who just seem to have this gift of the gab, Is this something that I know you say can be nurtured, but how much does nature play a part? Right, Adeline. Uh, Here's what I would say. It's kind of like any skill. Do I think anybody can be an NBA player in basketball? No. Do I think everybody can be uh, a professional baseball player? No. In the same way, do I think every single human being on earth can be a world-class communicator? Not necessarily. But... When we go back to basketball, do I think if you practiced a lot, you'd be pretty good? If you did enough? Yeah, I would say that. So I think it's the same thing with communication where, let's say we take the random word exercise, a silly example. So many people look at that exercise and they ask a bunch of follow-up questions. What's the framework? What's the template? Uh, how do I do this? Should I do this in my shower? Should I do this on top of my roof? Like, how do I, how do I play this out? Whereas my answer is always... We do not get points on how well to do the exercise. We get points on how many times we're willing to do it. 
Let's say you're an accounting listening to this. How many accountants do you know in your industry who are willing to even do the random word exercise 100 times? And the answer gets really small, really fast, Adelaide. But the magic of doing it 100 times is it doesn't take 10 years. It literally takes two hours to do the random word exercise 100 times. So that's really the key. It doesn't take that much to stand out in your industry. It's just most people aren't willing to put in the two hours in your life. Right? Not like every week, every month, like literally five minutes a day for like a month and you'll have done the exercise 150 times. And that's the type of stuff that will get us that quick ROI we're looking for. I'm glad you said that because I'm sure there are people listening who are looking for the goalposts and going, how long do I have to do this for? Like how many minutes a day and how long before I actually see uh, results? But if you're thinking about when you're actually doing the public speaking bit, I'm just wondering in your book, what makes a good intro, middle and outro? Do you need a story in every section? Not necessarily. So so I always like to look at it from a principles basis. Let me start with the first one, which is puzzle. So communication is like jigsaw puzzle, Adeline. You know those uh, toys we used to do as kids, you know, those little puzzle pieces. So the question we need to think about now, and you probably know the answer to it, is when we work on a jigsaw puzzle, which pieces do we start with first? Any guesses? The corners. <laughs> exactly. That's correct. What, why would you say that? Well, those are the pieces with the least amount of guesswork. There's only four of them, right? <laughs> and you can match it up to the box and you can pretty much uh, figure out, you know, which ones go where. Right. And then you would go to the edges, right? Naturally, because mm -hmm. they're just right there. Exactly. But we don't do that in communication. Most of us in communication, when we have a presentation to do and give, what do we do? We shove a bunch of content in the middle. We start with the middle. And then when we get to the presentation, what happens? We ramble throughout the whole thing. And then the last slide sounds something like this. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, thanks. And that's like 95% of all presentations. <laughs> so the why I mentioned puzzles and jigsaws is because we need to practice like jigsaw puzzles. Start with the edges first. It doesn't even matter what the idea is or what the presentation is. The presentation format is actually the most important, which is practice just your introduction, just your intro. 20 to 25 times. That sounds like a lot, but it actually only takes 25 minutes to do it 20, 25 times because your intro is like a minute or two. Same thing with the conclusion. What's a great movie with a terrible ending? Last time I checked, terrible movie, right? So same thing for the close 20 to 25 times and then tackle the middle. So I would start there, but I'm happy to add on to that as well. I've never heard it described that way, but that makes a whole bunch of, of sense. Um, when you get on stage, it's not just oral, it is visual. How much movement do you actually need to have on stage? Is that something that we need to be thinking about? I mean, I've heard people say that, oh, you need to be pointing in certain directions, you know, as you speak and walking towards your left or walking towards your right because of the way left and right brain works. And I'm like, that's really complicated. And I'm wondering, is it that complicated? I mean, but I can't deny that it is visual. So I'd, I'd love your thoughts on that. I personally think that's gibberish. Here's what I would say. Let me demystify this for the group. Communication is like juggling 18 balls at the same time, Adelaide. So one of those balls is storytelling. One of those balls is body language. One of those balls is vocal tone variety. One of those balls is eye contact. And it can get really confusing really fast for people. So the way that I would think about this is one ball at a time. So we don't try and juggle 18 balls when we learn how to juggle. For those of us who know, I know how to juggle like two at the same time. I don't know how to juggle more than two. But in communication, luckily, I know how to do more than two. But the key is you do one, 
which is the random word exercise. Okay, wow, I'm really good at the random word exercise. Then ball number two is, I don't know, let's say puzzle. It's not puzzle in my framework, but let's say it's puzzle, right? You're like, okay, I'm just going to practice. I'm not even going to worry about whether it's a story, whether it's a metaphor, whether it's an analogy. If I'm spinning a 180, if I'm looking right or left or jumping up and down and doing somersaults, I'm just going to do my introduction 25 times. Have I done that? That's step two. Have I done my conclusion 25 times? So we're already getting to a point, Adeline. We haven't even talked about content, engagement, audience, participation, and you're already ahead of 90% of people besides the people with the gift of gab because you're practicing your presentation in a structured format that undeniably makes you better. So that's the second piece. And then the third piece now becomes, okay, so what do we do about movement and body language and all that stuff? The fastest way to growth to keep things simple is to find what I call the repeatable presentation in your life. So if you're an entrepreneur listening to this, it's very easy. It's your business. You're going to talk about your business all the time. If you're a podcast host, a five-minute presentation about your podcast, Adelaine, is like the best thing because you're just going to keep rinsing. If you're a corporate executive or a corporate employee, it's not going to be at work necessarily because your presentations change all the time. It'll be a pro bono initiative you do for a nonprofit on X topic for a group of kids outside of the boardroom that you can respit to a new group of kids. But the key is find one repeatable presentation where you apply all these principles to and you could build up that presentation over time to get the result you're looking for. I'm just thinking of the high level executive who might come to you and say, you know, I have all this authority in this space. I kind of need to look good. And it can be a really vulnerable thing to put yourself out there in those spaces to, you know, start playing with the first one or two juggling balls that you talk about. So how would you encourage them? I mean, is there a safe space, I guess, where you can do this, especially if you're already sort of a big deal or a high profile in your company, and you would really don't want to make a fool of yourself. You would be correct, Adeline. So, so I won't talk too much about that because they would just join the program and all that stuff, and they would just have the safe space there. But I would say for people in general, the advice now becomes, you don't have to start doing this at work. I'm not advocating, though some of my people do do that at work because they have a great culture and stuff. But for most of us, no, I don't think you should do the random word exercise at work. But I would say, are we doing it outside of work? Here's kind of the principle that makes sense. Do what's harder outside of the boardroom so that the boardroom becomes a joke. That's the principle. Do what's harder outside of the boardroom so that the boardroom becomes a joke. What does that mean? That means if you do the random word exercise once, you might not get the result. But if you do it five times a day for the next three weeks, you'll get the result. You'll go, wow, okay, I I just talked about avocados. And yeah, sure, my work meetings are stressful, but it's always the same product line. It's always the same products. It's always the same people that I'm speaking to. So eventually those fears, they don't go away completely, but they do diminish considerably because you have an internal feeling, an internal knowing that you've done the random word exercise more than everybody in that room combined because they all have zero. They all have done none. And then you stack up those wins over time. That's just ball one. I'm happy to talk about the other balls, but that's just the the way that we want to see it for sure. So good. Is it helpful to have a ritual before you speak? Does Brendan have a ritual? Do you do vocal warm-up exercises? <laughs> so I'm sure you're having a lot of fun, Adelaide, interviewing me because I'm like breaking every stigma as you're breaking up. I'm like, yeah, this is wrong. Oh, do this instead. So, so rituals is one of them too. I do have a ritual that I don't actually use that much because I would burn out because I do too many speaking engagements at this point or podcasts. So I only do them if they're like, 
if they're career altering. So I might do it two or three times a year on average. And my routine, I wouldn't recommend to other people. I'm happy to share, but the key is to find your own routine. Like Tim Ferriss has one where he drinks a Diet Coke before I speak engage. I was like, okay, I guess that works for him. For me, it's actually doing breath work and meditating in silence for an hour with piano music. That's what I do. Sometimes I buy a new suit. If it's really, really important, that's what I used to do in my university days. I'd buy a brand new suit whenever I'd compete at international level competitions so that I'd be like a different person that day. And I cut my hair two weeks exactly to any important presentations, which is like really bizarre stuff. So I wouldn't recommend it, but it works for me. I think what you might be alluding to is stepping into that new identity and becoming that new identity to prepare you to do the thing that you, you know that you need to do. Would that be about right? That's correct. But in other words, using my 18 ball analogy, this is more advanced, Adeline. This is more like ball 15, 16. This is more the seasoning on the steak versus like, like for example, to keep this simple, if you haven't booked 15 minutes every day in your calendar to do the random word exercise, literally everything else I'm going to say today is irrelevant. Because you won't do puzzle, you won't do like the question drill, which is ball number two, you won't send video messages to people that you love. And these are the easiest of the 18 balls. So for sure, like, because you mentioned at the beginning, yeah, Brendan, like, what's your tips on audience engagement? I'll mention them, have dinner with your audience, spend multiple hours with them, ask them powerful questions. But nobody listening to this podcast will do that if they're not doing the random word exercise a few times a day. Yeah, so true. You just said something curious, though. You mentioned sending messages to your loved ones. I mean, how does that play into public speaking? So video messages is ball number three. So why is this impactful? Because a lot of people ask me about social media, like, should I post on social? How should I do this? And I always say that the best way to learn how to speak on video is to make a list of the people that you already love, the people that are in your corner, the people that are awesome, the people are really open-minded who are on social and to send those people a video message that's 20 seconds, super simple, that just says, hey, Brendan here, just want to say I'm thinking about you. I love the work that you're doing. Thanks for everything you do in my life and I hope you're having a wonderful day. That's it. So why do I recommend this? Because video messages, Adelaine, teaches us a very valuable lesson about life, not just communication. That communication is not a chore, but it's a tool for impact. You'd be shocked, Adelaine, at the number of responses you get when you send five or 10 video messages. It's almost always, oh my God, I've never received a video message before. This really made my day, really made me smile. I, I had a woman I interviewed me a few months ago, it was Christina, and I told her to do the same thing. And she took action on it. She sent a video message to her grandmother because she hadn't seen her in like eight months. And it just really made her day. And it changes the energy around communication. You go like, shit, I thought I was just some kid in a basement. Looks like I have the power to actually make an impact, but we all do. Is that um, because what I do here is the power of doing Facebook lives. And I'm wondering if that's exactly the same kind of, I mean, do you get the same result? You, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I wouldn't jump to the Facebook live just yet because that's too stressful for most people because you're like live and on Facebook. I me, it's literally private messages. Like it's just in the DMs, just to people that you love. I would start there. I think that's the best way to build that muscle. And I would worry about like Facebook lives and that stuff later for sure. But I but I still think that's relevant for sure, but more later. That's great. Um, because that's one thing I have not done. <laughs> and Even I, I don't do it. And I, I can immediately just think of people I know already who would most appreciate that um, people I haven't talked to for a while, especially during COVID. And we've been texting on WhatsApp, but a direct video message is something I actually think 
would be wonderful at this time. I didn't think of that. So I thank you for that very much. You've been listening to part one of my interview with Brendan Kumarasamy. Join me for part two next week when I ask Brendan for his secret sauce to winning over an audience, plus why he's choosing not to do a TED Talk. Meantime, if you're enjoying the show, please share the love by leaving a rating and review. And click the follow button if you'd like to be notified when a new episode drops. By the way, if you ever wanted to start a podcast, I have links in the show notes to some of my favorite tools, including Amazon gift cards and discounts. And if you need a hand to find out how to use these tools, reach out and say hello at uponarrivalpodcast at gmail.com. Catch you next week to uncover more stories and strategies for a successful future. Till then, cheers.